Ah, so it's EDM. Very good. This is him singing? Yes. The lesson to be learned here is that it's not just technology that Elon Musk can make worse. (laughs) I figured Mike would enjoy that. Welcome to Nerdburger! Episode 359. It's a podcast with a guy and a couple of guys on the worldwide phone. I'm Mike. I'm Craig. And here and there we are. Here you are and there we are. What? Huh? Yeah, well, you know. Craig's busy. Craig's a busy guy. I am busy today, sir. He has a whole bunch of hardcover books to print up, all fancy. Yeah, and I'm doing them right here in the printing press in my home. That's what all that money was for, right? To buy that equipment? St- yeah, yeah. $8,000 buys me a printing press. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe $8,000 or 8,000 pounds would have bought me a printing press back in the day. Um, I wonder if our guest knows what the... Uh, what the cost of a printing press was back in oh Elizabethan England or something like that. And in three, two, one, in the, in the year, year of our Lord fifteen hundred and six, we set sail from the cold bay of Cork. We were sailing away with a cargo for the Grand Rattie City Hall, Hall in New York. It's Jim! Hey, welcome back, Jim. Elegant craft, she was she great, great for and, and after. Now you do like the heavy metal version. Right? Oh my goodness. Nobody, but nobody is listening now. They have driven off the road all over the greater Atlanta Metroplex. Good Morning, gentlemen. Hi, Jim. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Eventually, yeah. we'll get your theme I, sorted I'm, out. <laughs> I'm, I'm really busy, and I'm printing stuff today. So, um, <laughs> do you happen to know it would would eight thousand pounds back in the day um, buy a, a like a Gutenberg style printing press? Oh, I'm not sure that wouldn't have bought you a a a printing press, all the supplies you needed, and the building to put it in. Sure. Maybe in the maybe uh, A. W. Merrick back in um, in in Deadwood in the show Deadwood, his printing press. I wonder how many there, thousands or hundreds of dollars it cost yeah, in 1976. I, I, exactly, I'm sure that that would have been paper press. Some hundreds of dollars. What about in and, 1661? How much lace would eight thousand pounds buy you? <laughs> <laughs> there's oh, okay. the there's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You can, get a, you can get a printing press and a shop and all this other stuff. Seven hundred bales of lace, right? Because <laughs> that's how they. That's where they. That's how they ship lace, right? Dainty, delicate lace. They just uh-huh. bind it up in bales. Sure, right with twine. Right. Yeah, 
put it down, throw it below the load of cotton from the Americas. And it's so and it's so sturdy and can uh, withstand a uh, a trip on a ship that they'll just throw it right at the bottom of the hole and they'll just pile stuff on top of it. That was that's how what... that was how they did money back then. It was uh it was on the lace standard. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, I have forty thousand kopecks. Ooh, that's three bales of lace. <laughs> so I can carry around, you know, some coins <laughs> in a pouch, or I can tote around like six bales of lace i'm gonna need right, uh, because like, i'm gonna need my manservant to help with that my valet <laughs> boy <laughs> jerome fetch me my lace <laughs> and not to like you know apply to my my lovely clothing and, and be a nice accent piece but like literally go go get a bale of lace i, I oh, need yes. to pay for dinner right <laughs> we're going down to miss miggins pie shop don't forget the lace <laughs> Miss Miggins, <laughs> Miss Miggins Pie Shop, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, um, the Kickstarter is 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 funded. Hey, look at that! Woo-hoo. I'm gonna I'm gonna get like uh, fancy hardcover books printed, which means um, it's now now it becomes a question of how many. Um, obviously, enough to give the backers who get the books um, their copies, but also then. Now I'm at the point, you know, I have to decide how many am I going to get for myself when now because of the backer's money that's going into this, my price per unit is actually low enough to be reasonable and put the book into distribution. Because if I, if I spend, you know, $14 or $16 or something on a print on demand book, I can't reasonably go into distribution because I'm selling it for such a discount off of the MSRP to a distributor that I'm not making any money. Um, but if I've got a book that I'm getting for, you know, my, my copies for the equivalent of five bucks a unit, that's a whole different beast. So I can actually put out books that are going to like net me dollars <laughs> over the course of probably many, many, many months. <laughs> Did you say these, many, many money? <laughs> many, many, many months because they won't, they won't sell. Like, I'm not going to sell out in three months. Like this the little niche game like this is going to take a while to sell up. You know, a bunch of copies. So I got to make that decision. By the time you're listening to this, um, I have probably not yet made that decision because it will depend in part on where the Kickstarter ends up. So, yeah, uh, that's where, right. When you're listening to this, it's February. Happy February or February, yes. February ugly, as we call it. And it's, in, and in it's a day before it's a day before the Kickstarter ends. So if you haven't jumped on board, go grab a, um, hardcover book right now and allow me to get my books for like one cent per unit less by by you backing or whatever it'll be and happy groundhog day yes and, um, happy birthday to loud guy michael our february punk <laughs> as we're as we're talking to yeah i noticed that i i sent him the same photo um birthday wish you know like i do the minimum the bare minimum required to wish somebody a happy birthday which is to post a photo on their facebook page yeah and i sent him the same one that i have sent him every year that i've known him you've talked about this before because you do this do you do this with everybody or just him i I do the photo thing you know it varies it depends on people but with him it's always been the same one it's a photo of hulk hogan professional wrestler like from the 80s like in his heyday and it says happy birthday brother (laughs) <laughs> i go i go the uh 
the next step up from that where I actually type happy birthday. And I do that for everybody. <laughs> Train! Train! Car! Gotta move the... <laughs> move the, <laughs> the... The goalie. Or the, the show, goal. show on. So what's going on in February for you, Jim? Febu- February or February? February. February. But do people this actually say that or do people say February? This is this is election season up for me. So oh yes, my, the uh, um the, the um it's the nonpartisan elections. Correct. The nonpartisan elections in the city of Milwaukee. All city officials are up for re-election. So it's uh, we call it the the silly season or the mad season. All fifteen council members, the mayor, the treasurer, the attorney, the comptroller. So it's uh, finding out who your boss is going to be. That's it. That's it. Now, uh, I've got 15, five are unopposed, so it's a mix. The interesting thing, probably the biggest news, is that on our county board, none of them are opposed. There's no contested elections for county board. <laughs> that's, that's Well that's done. It. Well done, that's, Milwaukee County locals. Way that's to make it. things easy for the voters. I, was, it's, it's, I, I would assume I've not seen the ballot yet. It's it's been printed. I just not now, seen it yet. Now here, here's a question. If yep. somebody is up for a, a position like that, and it's like yep. some, like okay, you know, comptroller, you know, some like position that nobody knows what it's about, nobody pays attention to it, yes. and they're unopposed. Yes. And if by some fluke everybody that goes in to vote doesn't bother to check that box, like the person gets zero votes. Mm-hmm. Do they get the office? No. They have to get at least one vote. Yep. So they oh. could a person could literally vote themselves into office with one vote if everybody Correct. Else. Because or they, they, or they could lose because they forgot to vote for themselves. And I well, well I I've <laughs> I've made this point. Uh one of the things you have to do to get on the ballot in Wisconsin is get a certain number of signatures on a it looks like a petition. And what's the uh, number? for example what's the number roughly? Well, there you go. That's what I was heading to. For uh, a common council member, it's for it's. I'm sorry, it's 200, but you can't turn in more than 400. You can only turn in 400. No more. They do. They don't it's, do you, any good. You can't go get everybody's signature and like box out everybody else that's trying to run for the spot. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that always happens because it's a political process is your opponents will very carefully check your signatures to make certain that they were co- collected in the correct way. Oh, sure, because you got to just slather bureaucracy and. Well, and, and the other thing is for cheating some, and everything else on top of it all. For some reason, and I still, I guess I get it. I just. I think I disagree with it. If I sign Craig's petition to get on the ballot, his papers, mm-hmm. I cannot later sign Mike's. I may only sign one. Do people date the... Uh... Yes. So you have to date it when you sign. Yep. yep. So you and in fact... Them. They'll sit there and look through and cross-check all of that. In fact, two men were kicked off the ballot for county executive because a local company came up with the idea of selling themselves as, hey, we'll get signatures for you. <laughs> but they got them from the same group of people. Yeah, for everybody. So they submitted three sets of nomination papers. With all the same signatures. Exactly. And so the court, 
So the court looked at it and said, all right, well, you submitted Jane Doe's on this date, and these two were later, so those people are off the ballot. They don't have enough signatures. <laughs> so, if it, so if yes. It was, if it was 200 here in, in where I live, in this county, in this county, I don't know if I could get 200 just with just well, with, with ease. For but a think, bigger race, for a bigger I, race, just so you understand the hill you're climbing, council <laughs> member represents 44,000 people. So that's four, that's 200 to 400 that you could, you must submit 200. You can submit no more than 400. Uh, for a broader race, like mayor, it's 2000. Oh, sure. So to, to your earlier question, I have said, if you don't know how to get 200 signatures, quickly <laughs> you have no business being a council member i mean that well and here's the thing i know that I, I i could pull 200 signatures somewhere um if for no other reason than i just go to a place where a lot of white men gather and i'd get my signatures um huh. and uh but the, the the point being i was like i'm <laughs> looking at it realistically from craig's point of view i want to be as lazy as possible it's like, can oh, I go just... to specific places where I know people and find, do I, do I know 200 people or have, or know like friends of, have my friends of friends in this County extend to 200 people? Like, could I go and talk to this person that I know and they would be able to get, you know, 10 signatures of other people in the County that they would vouch for me. Could I do it that easily that, because that's, you know, that's how I want to get into office. See, for me, the, the point has always been, if you're going to represent a community, you should be known. People should know you. Yeah, yeah. They should know, and you should know them. And so, it's <laughs> and I'm not right for the, I'm not right for any of those jobs because <laughs> I I, right. I I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I don't talk to anyone. Okay, well there you have it. <laughs> and God forbid if you if you were you know the only viable candidate in your town and uh, a bunch of dirty money politicians and lawyers came in from outside of your town and. Uh, paid people to um get your 200 signatures invalidated down to 199 you know one below the <laughs> threshold so that you couldn't be on the ballot like is happening in the fine city of Oconomowoc right now yes well and and this is boy i, I i'm sure this will return to nerdery presently but this actually matters a lot to me one of the things that most people look at when they look the state of wisconsin has more counties than california the not as many as Georgia. The reason, yes, and Georgia too has a great many. And Georgia the reason the for most that in the country is the Jeffersonian is the Jeffersonian survey. Thomas Jefferson orders a surveying of all this land to the west, and he sets a standard that each county seat is to be one day's horse ride from each other. <laughs> Note, I said horse ride. Yeah, horse seat. And, and, you know, because that's the, that will be the transportation for all time. <laughs> we will, we will yeah. always measure things in horse ride lengths. Right. That's oh, like that. That's the, in, the, in fairness, we still use horsepower. We do. We do. We do. That is true. That's like those, so those concept, photos from, from uh, New York. It's like Fifth Avenue in, in uh, 1903 and it's all horse-drawn buggies and there's one car. And then ten years later, it's all cars and one horse-drawn carriage, like the same which, the same view. Which you know, look looking at this this way, looking at the the situ the structure of our government, 
we now have, I think, Brown County, the home of the Green Bay Packers, Lambeau Field, all Huzzah. that stuff. Brown, Brown County has a county board with 31 people on it. <laughs> Seems like a lot. It's, I mean, it's, it's not like they don't do important many. business there. You know, and so to, I think it was Mike's point, yes, we occasionally do get these situations where nobody wants to sign up. For the record. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, just that's, that is my, it is that time of year for actually every four years for me, it is election season. For the record, Georgia does have the second most. I, was, I knew it was like way up there. Who Not has quite the, the most? Texas, just because I of was size. Gonna, yeah. Ah, there you go. But then, you know, Alaska and California and some of the other states that are, are close Georgia don't, because as we progress westward more and more, they stop making the county so tiny. Correct. Are they close, though? No, not even. Not anywhere. even. Huh. No, California is like I'm looking at a map where everything's color coded in 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 chunks of, you know, like in chunks of county. Yeah. And well, like <laughs> there's there's one, two, three, four, five, six states that are between 101 and 200 counties. Texas is by itself at 254. Um, and California is in the, you know, 51 to 100, whereas <laughs> because the, they, they, they've got counties that are just enormous. Right. They must have had fast there's, horses there's out a, there. There's a there's there's or slow horses. One, I mean, one, two, three, four, maybe you could take like five counties in the very bottom of California. And that's the size of Georgia. Yeah. Well, you know, the horses were going so slow because that's desert. Right. <laughs> They, well, had to, and they had to stop. If you look and at California, it kind frequently. of weirdly fits. It kind of weirdly fits that because when you get up into where the mountains are, then all the counties are smaller. And out toward Nevada, they're bigger. Toward Nevada and Arizona, so it actually does kind of fit that. Anyway, that was a bit of nerdery. We we managed to to wrangle government in there. nerdery, yeah, and geography, yes, fun stuff. Arbitrary county lines or or uh, parishes if you're in Louisiana. This. Still governed by the Napoleonic Code. <laughs> it's a time for news. And if you're if you're in Virginia, it's a Commonwealth. It is. Which doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it's news time. Sure, why not? What's news, Craig? Mike, I want you to look up right now on the Google. Don't doubt your vibe. B i b e. Oh no. Okay, and have that ready to play. That's a song. Oh, well, it would help if I had the thing plugged in. (laughs) Uh, Don't Doubt Your Vibe is a four-minute-long song that has only three lyric lines that was released recently um, by Emo G Records, and it is by Elon Musk. Musk. He wrote it and did the vocals. Oh, is that why there, his his truck is floating in space and on and top of Mars, Mars and everything? Yeah. Am Can I supposed to be playing it? Okay. Ah, so it's EDM. Very good. This is him singing. Yes. face <laughs> so the lesson to be learned here is that it's not just technology that elon musk can make worse <laughs> <laughs> i figured mike would enjoy that 
Yeah, what what a garbage piece of music. My, uh, I'm not surprised that this is the kind of thing he likes or that he would make. <laughs> my point. I, I don't previ- think he necessarily likes it. I think he's trying to appeal to somebody. That guy doesn't do anything that isn't trying to appeal to an audience. Anyway, my my previous point on this stands. Elon Musk, your job was to get us to Mars. <laughs> Just shut up and do that. Not smoke dope. <laughs> Well, you know, it's smoke dope if you want. If it gets us to Mars somehow, sure. you'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll have to connect those two. I, I don't care. Or if it doesn't but, prevent us from getting to Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the relevant point, isn't it? Uh, so not not make candy bars. Remember that? <laughs> uh, that that's that was the last time we talked about this guy. <laughs> and and certainly, certainly not doing lame EDM songs. You know, if you want to be an Mars. innovator, that's fine. But like, find a wheelhouse Mars. and get in there. Like space exploration. And stick with that wheelhouse. <laughs> Every time I see him, I'm just going to say Mars. Just just make vehicles happen. You can do vehicles. Yeah. And you can even have your weird truck and, you know, some other stuff. I mean, like, yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> okay, whatever. Elon opens his mouth and immediately gets cut off with, are we in Mars yet? Are we yes. on Mars yet? Yep. <laughs> no. We on, if not, what are you doing? Shut up. Go back to work. And I've, <laughs> I've been rewatching From the Earth to the Moon. Oh ah, boy, yes. Tom Hanks is young in that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> what, he what? does those intros, it's like, wow, you look like you're 17. He only actually um, acts in one of them, though, right? No, he's only in one of them, yeah. But he does the intro in each one. Sure. Um, and yeah, like, like that, that's the whole thing of like, I'm watching here like, okay, in the you know, late 60s, well, eh, from the early 60s, really, but it was kind of 65 onward where things really started to rock and roll um, in as far as technology goes to get to the moon and it's like all the stuff that they did there and it's like well come on i mean like these people did did the moon with like you know hand calculators and <laughs> and and landing landing modules that are made out of tinfoil um like what's so hard about mars elon come on what are you doing yeah hollywood hollywood's <laughs> I mean, done it do- dozens of fully, times at this point understanding the irony of the statement because mars is like a million times more difficult we could do it if we wanted to I feel how I feel. <laughs> I think you, it'll, you happen. it'll my... happen. It's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of other problems to solve. That's the... yeah. But, it, but, it, they, it, but hey, they... hey, hey, my clock is ticking. Let's yeah. They solved, they solved all sorts of weird problems in this, in the late sixties too. So. Yeah. Well, the thing about it, <clears throat> excuse me, both the sixties and now there's still stuff. We just don't know. You know, oh, what yeah, we've happens? Talk, we've talked about this. What happens if somebody's up there for a year? What does that do to your your body? Right. Exactly. Well, that's why you get, you know, like they, they're talking about on From the Earth to the Moon, all these all those astronauts. They are Air Force test pilots. They are people that know that every single time they go to do a thing with a jet you know, or when they become an astronaut, when they go to do a thing with a spacecraft, they know every single time they could die. That's what they signed up for. That's the job. As weird as that is to say, you're absolutely right. It's there's look there's there's all this talk about space tourism. I saw an article I think it was in Vanity Fair that this was going to be the year of space tourism. Is <laughs> both Richard Branson and Elon Musk are getting people into space, and they've actually the Russians have been sending people into space for a quarter million at a time to liaison with the uh, International Space Station. They've been doing it, but. The idea that we should be blasé about this ever is just insane to me. <laughs> well, we, that, we we still need our floating space hotel. 
Right. As discussed on the show like four years ago or whatever. So no, no. Once again, though, Elon Musk, not candy bars, <laughs> not lame EDM music. Mars, please. Mars, please. Next. What's, what else is news? Oh, who died? A lot of people died. Who died this time? Terry Jones. Yeah. Master of the absurd, as the BBC called him. I, I think it's even more that he was the master of the... He loved the absurd. Yep. That's the thing about it. A lot of people point out the absurd with a sense of irony or a sense of, hey, look at that. Isn't that weird? Terry Jones and and his friend Terry Gilliam, they both, they both, I think, just relish it. They love it in a way that's very that in in, in Jones's case was very very special. And I, <laughs> I I have argued and well when I was in under when I taught undergraduates at Marquette University and I did the introduction to Western Civ and we got to the point where we were getting ready to discuss the Roman Empire and the coming of Christianity. My students watched Life of Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Because for two scenes, number one was the scene in which they're discussing why the Romans, you know, what what exactly this group of terrorists hates about the Romans. (laughs) Right? And it said, yeah, what have the Romans ever done for us? The aqueduct? Oh, yeah, the aqueduct. (laughs) <laughs> brought security oh yeah you remember what the city looked used to be like and they go through this whole litany of things that the romans have done for jerusalem and they're still going to rebel against them that's what the romans hated about the jews the romans were not anti-semitic it wasn't in them to hate a religion they just didn't care about religion that much <laughs> they were but, angry because the jewish people were in their eyes ingrates. Yes, it's, we're giving you the world with a fence around it. <laughs> despite <laughs> it being, despite it, you know, it, 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 it's a little wrong with some people when you kind of force that stuff down people's throats. Yeah, even but if, that's, even if but, some of it is good, I, I understand, I understand, but there's still some of you going like, really? Urgh. But they, and then, and then the Romans said to the Jews, all right, fine, who's your God? We'll worship him too. Oh, you can. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, well, the- <laughs> our God's a secret. What? No, we, you will worship our God. We will worship your God. No, we will not worship your God. That's blasphemous. And you cannot worship our God unless you're one of us. That too went completely against the Roman understanding of the world. Different, and that whole scene cultures. is so wonderfully illustrative of that. And the other one in that same movie is the whole follow the shoe, follow the gourd. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like, I know he, what, you know, he drops his shoe and they spend ages arguing over what that means. I have never seen a better encapsulation of the theological arguments of the Western Catholic Church and the Western <laughs> Church, I'm sorry, period, between the death of Christ and 325 AD and the Council of Nicaea than that interchange. And the scene later in the same movie that is not commented on, they just trust their audience in that movie. Where later on, after that huge debate about follow the shoe, follow the gourd, follow the shoe, later in that same movie, it's probably 20 minutes later, you get another crowd scene where you look in the audience and there are people holding up shoes on sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Because they are followers of the shoe. Sure. 
<laughs> and, I, and I damn near died when I, I, I went, that's it. That's it. That is the history of the Western church. The only thing I ever criticized Terry Jones for and John Cleese and Michael Palin, they actually appeared on a BBC show with Malcolm Muggeridge, one of the great, which first of all, one of the great Dickensian names of all time. <laughs> but he was also a brilliant uh, a, a Christian apologist. And he accused them of blasphemy with Life of Brian. And all three of them denied it. And I said, no, of course it's blasphemous. That's the point. Yeah. That's okay. I don't care. I don't ban blasphemy. This, is, this isn't the way this works. But don't deny that it is. It certainly is. That's the whole point. For, you know, you've got Terry Jones returning to our theme, appearing out the window in drag and the whole crowd hail his mother hail you know what they're doing you know and so it it's genius um and and i shouldn't i shouldn't leave to the side his wonderful uh series on the crusades which i hope you all have seen um it is so worth watching it's actually runciman's history of the crusades sort of acted out by a lunatic welshman uh, which is which is an incredible joy, uh, and also his medieval lives, which is well worth watching. So, yeah, I Life of Brian probably, and I really thought about this, and I couldn't come up with a good competitor. Is the best comedy of the twentieth century, and he directed it. He made it happen. In many ways, it was his vision. Although obviously, all the pythons were there. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's an and the way he went is so incredibly tragic. Because yeah. I'm sure if you went to him and said, you can be in a wheelchair or you can lose your ability to speak, he would have chosen a wheelchair in a moment. Mm -hmm. And so for him to pass uh, unable to talk and, and the obvious effect that that had on him was, uh, was pretty sad. But no, his, that, that, that is a, uh, that's a pretty special legacy. I remember the meaning of life. My dad's a huge Monty Python fan, so he he let me watch all this stuff when I was probably too young to be watching it. Well, that's a good father. Exactly. And um I just remember the the scene with uh in the restaurant with um Terry Mr. Jones as Mr. Creosote. And um I remember thinking that was so funny and not just because it like appealed to, you know, my child childish, childlike sense of humor. Like here's a here's a a big fat guy overeating and then exploding. But like, I got the joke. Like, sure. I don't know how old I was, but I got the joke. And I, and that, you know, here's a guy who never refused food until the Wayfair Thin Mint. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 I can't. No, no I couldn't. No, no. <laughs> oh, throw up. It's Wayfair Thin. It's <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, it's, it is warfare thin. I haven't seen that movie in twenty years, and yeah, and it's a it sticks with you. Go back and watch it because it's a it's a great bit of uh, practical special effects. What they've got going oh, yeah, on yeah. with him because he's he's basically vomiting as he's talking <laughs> and eating. It's just kind of like he's boiling over inside and it's coming out of his mouth. They must have had tubes up inside the like the fat jowls on his face it yeah it's yeah it's just crazy and it's the thing of it is it, it was the first example i can think of 
of completely committing to an offensive joke. Family Guy, of course, raised it to high art. <laughs> yeah, with the epicac scene, it just keeps right. going. But yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that the Mr. Creasel, I mean, that is like, that's one of those things that it just keeps, it, it's funny, and then it keeps going, and then it kind of not, it's kind of not funny for a while. And then it gets and funny then it gets again. funny again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's that, it's like, nope, nope, we are not stopping. I know you think we're going to stop. We're not stopping. <laughs> Although my favorite scene from uh, from Meaning of Life is is probably still uh, Amazing and Expanding Universe by Eric Idle coming out of the ladies' icebox. <laughs> and, of course, Holy Grail. Everybody's seen that. Well, and, you know, and yeah, that's the hard part. It's it, the, the, I doubt that they have a funnier movie than that. You know, it's weird. It's they they did they did Holy Grail and everybody went, "Oh my goodness, this is a funny movie." But then they did Life of Brian and everybody kind of stopped because it was more than just funny. Yep. It was wildly controversial. It it never would have been made without George Harrison, who he it, according to according to Cleese, the the uh, they had submitted the script all over the place and gotten told absolutely not. <laughs> and finally they get this phone call from George Harrison directly going, yeah, I'll put up 2 million pounds for it. <laughs> Sir, why? Cause I want to see this movie. He gave them 2 million pounds just because he wanted to see that movie made. That's a hell of a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Got a and, roll. And, and and he created something very very and and you know I it, it, I can't stop but it's you know my my Latin nerdery and the whole Romani aunt domum it says Romans go home no it doesn't and he he winds up correcting his Latin grammar right there at the wall <laughs> you know, that that scene for those of us who actually went through the which takes accusative sir accusative you know that those of us who lived through that. We, we, that's funny in a horrifying and terrible way that's, that's oh, probably oh, yeah. not funny at all <laughs> so so yeah life of brian terry jones an incredible loss but uh i hope he's finally found peace because i'm sure it was i'm sure it was difficult at the end i have i have no doubt what else is news Greg? Uh, nah, i got nothing uh, no did you? Did you? We're gonna. We're, we got Jim here. We we don't want to get bogged down in news. There's okay. so much more to talk. About. We got to do. Got to do one more. Have you heard about this uh, trend on TikTok? First of all, have you heard of TikTok? Yeah. 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 Appar- <laughs> apparently, there's a trend on TikTok, which is like an app or a platform or a website or something. I have no idea. Um, yeah. Uh, men are encouraging other men to dip their testicles in soy sauce in order to quote taste it yep yeah apparently a study in a study in 2013 uh showed that mice can taste with their testicles and so of course because if mice could do it seven years ago um we all can do it now yes tiktok user regan challenged male social media users to quote please dip your balls in something because it's for science and i must know user uh alex james alex alx i don't know how you're supposed to say that um depicts an intrepid gastronomer basting his sack with soy sauce don't worry he doesn't show the actual application 
while sitting in his car with takeout grub. Wait a minute. He's he's somehow got his sack out in the seat, the front seat of his car, and soy sauce in some like a bowl, or I don't know if he's squeezing the packet onto it. But like, what is going on with the upholstery in this guy's car? Well, he's got scotch guarded. He's good. I hope there's plastic down. Well, I don't know. How much forethought do you think went into the uh, the protection of the the upholstery from someone who felt it necessary to... Yeah. I don't know, but his, his exact quote here in the video, which you can watch, is, Oh my God, I can taste the salt. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yes, that's true. They is didn't. he saying that he licked his own... Wait. <laughs> wait, wait. Wait, wait. Have we found the unicorn? Yeah, no, the, the guy that can... Yeah, 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 yeah. According to an uh, Australian, I think it's Australian doctor, Kieran Kennedy, uh, to back up any claims that men of any species can actually taste uh, taste things through their junk, there's no evidence. Um, there are uh, tissues in the body, including the testes, that harbor taste receptors but they're not connected to anything <laughs> they're just there all right wait a minute in various parts of your body all right all right okay okay okay, okay. why um now i i i, I, I went don't on a know rant why they, yesterday because, on my facebook page because evolution i don't know they're just there because because i was mad at the ornitho- ornithologists I was incredibly angry at them for not telling me that geese have teeth on their tongues, that penguins have these long, weird necks, that that geese, well, we, that ducks, I mean, ducks have, well, well, I'm not allowed to talk about that. And, and that, um, and there was, there were all these, oh, and owls have those weird skinny legs. Yeah, their whole bottom half of their body is just fluff. They have weird spindly legs. legs. They have long and I said, legs. So clearly you ornithologist, you ornithologist, you have known this. That's what you do. You didn't bother to tell us these things? <laughs> these were amazing facts that at no point in my 53 years did any ornithologist tell me. And I go online and I Google best ornithologist in Milwaukee. And what did I find? I find that we have not one but two uh, a male and a female. They're great scientists, PhDs. They have worked together for 25 years. They received the Koo Award, C-O-U-E, that's how I'm pronouncing it, which is one of the high, it's like the Nobel Prize for ornithologists. They didn't, they've never had a, a, a meeting or a presentation down at Centennial Hall of weird stuff you don't know about birds, but probably should. They never had this. So now I want to know why my testicles have taste buds. Um, he doesn't explain why they're there, just that they're there and they're not connected to anything. See, key information missing. Well, he does point out that the, that they're in the testes themselves and not not the scrotum. So even if you dip your sack, if you if you teabag the soy sauce, it's you and you and you could taste with your nuts. You're not going to taste it because your actual nuts aren't touching the soy sauce. Um, it's also, uh, the taste receptors are also in parts of the gut and the liver, but they don't say why or how that came about. And I've already clicked through to another, to another article. That feels I'm so st- amazing. I'm stopping there. 
That feels so made up to me. Well, there's, you know, there, there are, a, a, there are a variety of insects that have, that are able to smell and taste via like their, their legs and hairs on their body and their wings. That's just, you know, our assumption that, you know, that the only place we taste is in our mouth, that, or that the only place that those receptors exist is in our mouth because our evidence is, well, we put something in our mouth and we can detect a different taste for different things. We've, we have yes. experience with that. That doesn't mean we don't have, you know, vestiges of sensory cells in other parts of our body that have just kind of become useless um, or just never, you know, never developed beyond. I, just, I understand those, those all that and accept it, but I'm also a, a child of the theory of evolution. Uh, natural selection what evolutionary benefit is conferred by my liver having taste receptors much less my testicles well i don't know about the testicles thing um but i imagine since um internal organs process various fluids in your body that it is possible that some of those fluids i mean because you know you know what blood tastes like sure right I you know do. what snot tastes like phlegm I, I you know do. your your various internal stuff all your lubricants and all your liquids that are floating <laughs> around in your body they have tastes they have odors so yes, yes why why wouldn't an organ develop a um a, a, an ability to smell something in the fluid in order to then know that, oh, hey, we're we're low on this nutrient, or we need to flush this out of the system, or whatever. All right, we're gonna we're gonna um, whoops, we're gonna put Doctor Laurie on this, and uh, <laughs> the the professor of uh, physiology and anatomy. That reminds me, you need to send me her email address so I can start scheduling. Oh, her. okay. I wish to know this. I will listen for these facts. That would be good. I would be. I, you know what I would love is a, a a weird animal fact of the day calendar <laughs> you know one of those yes. big things that you tear the page off where you know like some of the stuff we already know about like how you know like uh the owl has long spindly legs under that fluffy bottom um but you know the stuff like uh what is it uh is it peng- penguin penguins mate for life and the like the male will give the female a pebble yes or whatever it is as like an engagement present mm-hmm. or something i don't know she carry it around in her vagina <laughs> i don't know is it a goop but pebble? There's, you know like there's there's animals uh was it <laughs> what was it was it otters that would carry around some animal that carried some little furry mammal that carried around um would have like a favorite rock and it would carry it around and it would use it to break yeah, seeds open that's otters that yeah. is otters yeah all that kind of stuff and then just an anatomical stuff as well like you know like yeah, I'd lo- I'd love one of those. I wonder if there's one of those out there. Well, this would be a great if, year if for one. Is, you, million, if you there get isn't, an, hey, hey, internet, million dollar idea. You get an extra weird, fact weird, if you get the 20, animal fact of the day. The 2020 animal fact calendar. Because of Leap Day. Extra, True. extra. You get an extra animal fact. I just wanted to know what the necks of the penguins looked like. Are they like E.T.? They raise up real high? Well, they're they're, they're all neck. <laughs> They're all neck. They've got a weird rib cage that explains their front gut-like thing. But behind that rib cage, it's all just a spinal column. What, does it raise up? Not really. It's, it, it just stays in that posture. Oh. That's why they're shaped, and that's why they walk the way they do. 
So they're like they're they're a neck with some a rib cage with some organs hanging off the front and feet on the bottom. Exactly. That ex- yeah, I, I, that explains how they walk. That that really does. And I'm like, and I looked at that going, <laughs> okay, makes perfect sense. <laughs> but how it, did nobody ever tell me this? It makes them it makes them like bowling pins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all bottom heavy, so again, they wobble again. Science, I love it. I just can't believe I got this far in life and nobody told me. If you punch a penguin, will it bounce back up like one of those bouncy clown guys? The I have to think. Ones? I have to think. They're like Puncho the clown. Yeah, they're weeble wobbles. Yeah, yeah. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> weeble yeah. wobbles all neck. If you got a whole bunch of uh, penguins all in a row, shoulder to shoulder, and you just tip one on the side, just back and forth. That's like a perpetual, perpetual motion, motion machine. Perpetual motion machine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. We, we solved energy, the energy crisis. Penguins. Penguins in a row. If we can harness uh, penguin wobble um, and, and uh, somehow strap them into a, a, a flywheel and, and create electricity. That's, that's, that's my new ska band, Penguin Wobble. <laughs> suck it cold fusion we got penguins we got penguin wobble booby oh my goodness what's next we're gonna unleash the gym i i i did sure. send over i just i just want to give a shout out to my to my dude mark royden 47 from canterbury kent who tried to steal the magna carta <laughs> because he tried to he thought it was fake He's going to prove it. This is, this is, he's going to prove the hoax. January 27th, he was brought into the Salisbury Crown Court. There are only four copies. I've seen two. I've not seen this one, even though I've been to Salisbury. Uh, This is one of the four that King John, that that obviously the one he signs is different, but this is one of the four that was promulgated to say, yes, he has agreed to sign this thing. He was convinced it was broken, but my favorite part. Lay Chalmers, a cathedral outreach worker, told the court how she and others struggled with Royden and the glass door before pursuing him out of the cathedral. She said the Americans were shouting, he's trying to steal the Magna Carta. Stop him. I was. (laughs) So, um, and then he says he actually brought a hammer and a sword to try to get through the bulletproof glass that's protecting it. But according to his statement, he attempted the theft because he thought it was fake and was trying to prove it. Leave my oh. Magna Carta alone, Mr. Royden. Leave okay. it alone. Okay. I wonder if he had an, a different actual reason for trying to steal it. Um, and when, when he was asked, he didn't want to reveal the reason. So he said, well, because I think it's fake. And he just did, uh, he's just a bad improviser and he did, just didn't have a good, good answer. No, he put it in a statement. Uh, that doesn't mean actually, that's like, true. But that he wrote beforehand. Yeah. No. Anyway, but like, I, I wonder if there's a, a treasure map on the back, like uh, uh, in National Treasure. Oh, National Treasure. Nick Nick Cage has got to steal the Magna Carta. <laughs> or who's the, who's the British actor equivalent of Nick Cage? The guy who's in everything, but that like everybody kind of thinks is a bit of a joke because of uh, recent <laughs> his recent appearances. That would be a question for my wife. She would know instantly. <laughs> the uh... Uh, that person, um in the British remake of National Treasure. So <laughs> he he had brought with him yellow gloves, safety goggles, and a hammer, had worn a hooded top and baseball cap. He was recorded adjusting the camera to prevent the incident from being captured. 
So they captured him attempting, they, they filmed him attempting not to be filmed. Top notch. So, can, Mr. Royden, you are a crack thief. Can Nick so, yeah, Cage that's... do a British accent? Oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. Let's just give him the job. Let's just give him the gig. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Stealing the Magna Carta. <laughs> there, there, there you go. Is he, is he not even trying to do a British accent? Nope. <laughs> he just starts he starts out just when, in certain scenes whenever he's not speaking like that when he's real forceful when he's real like, like when he's really subdued it's a british accent but then when he gets into nick cage voice it's oh you know it's just like where it looks like where you where yeah. you would assume that every every word in the script is underlined you know that part of his in all caps yeah and then when he's speaking normally it it throughout the movie it shifts from british to mancunian to scottish to irish to welsh to australian back to british right completely inconsistent steal the magna carta (laughs) just watch me once i get in there i'm gonna steal the magna carta that's actually pretty good he's not hard to do that's because he's well because he's a character he's become a caricature of himself so you're just you know you're just playing that 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 version of him (laughs) Oh, so it's sort of like uh, I only do two. I only do two versions of Nick Cage. You know, like there's more to him than that. There really is. I'm like, watch, especially some of his earlier work. He's a very versatile actor. But yeah, like we we know the two versions where he's kind of quiet and contemplative, and then the part where he's yelling. So, um, I I did send along a piece, and I guess this goes to talking about our childhoods. Wee, and remembering those things <laughs> that we cared about. And if I may take you back in your minds, just let us take a, a voyage of the imagination to the date on which the Atari 2600 was released. Ah. Um, I, I hope everybody listening can call to mind what an Atari 2600 looks like. At the very least, they listen to us talk about our, our earliest gaming systems, video two, game yes. systems, yeah. um, two just weeks a few ago. episodes ago. Yeah. Oh, very good. That's right. You did. I do recall that. And I I did not have an Atari 2600 until sometime later because it was too expensive. <laughs> uh, it was released September 11th, 1977 was the first one. Uh, those who remember it remember because Atari was struggling to make it fit into the precious, sacred American space of the living room with the TV in it. Right. They wanted to create something that would look like it belonged. So the very earliest ones had a wood grain finish. Yeah, it had, yeah. It had, it had, it had wood siding on it. <laughs> right. Plastic To, to wood make it siding. look like, oh, yes, this belongs, <laughs> this belongs on, on top of the wood panel. Your co- or with your console TV. Uh, yeah. We discussed the right. console TV, too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> which, which we thought was the cat's pajamas because it didn't, it was a piece of furniture and didn't have to get rolled out on a metal rack like the black and white TV we had had private previously. But look, Mary Pat, it's furniture. It, it goes, it it goes on with, my mother in law. It goes with the <laughs> sofa and the credenza. Oh, Harlan, you're so cute. Oh, you provide so well for this family. <laughs> so, your children have the video toy. So I have the so, pong game. That's the pong. <laughs> mother likes the pongs. To, mother likes to play the pong. <laughs> I rather doubt that. 
finally our, our little boy has a joystick it's okay to play with <laughs> i caught him play- i caught him playing with the other joystick don't you know and we talked <laughs> but the um <laughs> so september i don't have this but my friend kevin labraco does I, I i have no idea where kevin is i hope he's well but he had one and that stuff made you popular let me oh, tell you oh yeah so we were going to come over and hang out and from that moment on really and i was i i had played uh, the first video game i ever played was a space wars game that cost a dime at a it was at a bowling alley uh, but shortly thereafter, Atari really took over with the 2600. And and the world truly has really not been the same since. It, it, it exploded, it became insanely popular. It created its own alternative set of stories, not the least of which is, shoot, there's a whole documentary about the ET cartridges and where they went and all that stuff. So Atari is seminal. Mm-hmm. And... Yes you know, Nolan Bushnell's company and all this stuff, it's iconography. And of course the famous three, you know, I, I don't even know what to call it. It's the, the, the logo of the three curving sticks that join at the top <laughs> to form a, a tower shape that, that is also iconic. It appears in the black, in the background in Blade Runner. Oh yeah. You can actually see in it. Yes. As you're go as you see them, working their way through uh, the city, you will very clearly see an Atari logo done in neon. (laughs) And it's labeled Atari. So the idea was Atari will always be with us, even to 2019. (laughs) Hey, wait. (laughs) Um, So it's it's definitely part of it. And so I I love it as much as anybody, I guess, is my point. But now the, the thing is, Atari has been bought and sold so many times. Uh, ever since it went through bankruptcies and you know it was a computer company and all this other stuff but now we are told and this is according to Kotaku uh, in an article that came out this Monday this past Monday the current incarnation of Atari France-based Atari SA so they're based in France now is far removed from the company founded by game pioneers Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney back in 1972 But the name and logo still carries plenty of weight. So much so that the company has signed a deal with a U.S. real estate developer to create eight Atari-branded hotels (laughs) across the country, each with its own esports studio and gaming playground. Now, now, oh, I I did want to make a side note, and it's a cheap joke, but what am I going to say? It's to include bars, movie theaters, <laughs> meeting rooms, a bakery, and a gym. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Wait, are you going to be there in each of these hotels, Jim? Right. <laughs> gym will be, yes. There will be a, there, no, a G-Y-M as in gymnasium, but that, that's a good joke. Too. But that's preposterous. It must be a J-I-M. You know, and so, <laughs> and so here's the thing. Stupid spell and check. I, and this article appeared on my Facebook feed with a number of individuals that I know who are of my age, maybe even a little older. And their universal reaction was, oh, my God, this is so awesome. And I thought to myself, does Atari still call us that way? Does it still have any? I, I wonder 
what do you suppose is the resonance age for Atari? How old do you have to be before Atari resonates? And how young do you have to be before Atari is a, a what? Yeah. Or it's otherwise known as the warning you have to give in the game of Go when you're about to capture someone's pieces. You know, what, is, what is that shelf? Is it 30? 35 at least, I would think. Because I don't know who's going to this. I'm not. <laughs> well, you know what? It depends on what they put in there. Now, the esports thing, sure, they can just make that a destination, and you've got sure. younger generation that really digs all that stuff. Yeah. And you can do all sorts of things with that. But you know what? I want to see the old school Atari twenty six hundred games um come to life in some way in this in this hotel. If I go to the bar, will there be a bartender who jumps between four long bars <laughs> right. and just slings the suds? <laughs> down to you as you enter like as soon as you walk in it he just tries to sling the bot you know sling a drink down to you right away and then as soon as you finish a, a glass you you slide it back toward him and he immediately slings another one down there like tapper style right yes, just so like tapper yeah i want that i want like go through the atari 2600 games and like provide me with that experience will there be like themed rooms can i have can i stay in the jungle hunt suite or yeah yet yeah, right pitfall like a pitfall suite you gotta jump over alligators in order to get to the bathroom in the middle of it. it's like the whole the whole room is uh is 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 hot lava you know but it's alligators and you've got you've got vines hanging from the ceilings and you have to move around your room swinging on vines if you if you stay in the penthouse um the elevator doesn't actually go up to the penthouse for you i mean it'll go up there for service and whatnot but if you want to get to the penthouse suite you go outside and they load you into a human cannonball cannon and they shoot you up to the penthouse (laughs) (laughs) we're just looking at a list of atari 26 well the atari games you've got to work you've got to work yars revenge into it (laughs) yars revenge well yeah i mean like (laughs) i guess there has to be like a brick wall that you have to knock down all the bricks in order to get at dinner or something i don't know so yeah, I'm so you so your call would be for and I would imagine, you know, because when's the last time you played an Atari 2600 game? Not as long ago as you would think, but <laughs> a year? It's been more than a year, yeah. Okay. And what was it? Uh the last game I played, I couldn't tell you for sure, but I've got a I'm I'm looking at an Atari 2600 right now. Okay. Yeah, and I have one in my office. Yeah, okay. so it's just been a long time. It's been quite a while since I played it. I haven't, and, I haven't played it since the, since I've had this television, but I did have it hooked up to the previous television. So inside I, the time, you know, five or six years ago, maybe. 30-something for I, me. I have played Keystone Capers. Oh, Keystone Capers is great. I was really good at that game. Yeah, I was. Well, you and I have another thing in common because I was too. As a matter of fact, I sent, I took a picture of my high score. Yeah, you got sent, a patch. I got my patch. Yeah, because it was an <laughs> Activision game. I got, I think I still have my patch. Uh, <laughs> I I got a patch indicating that I had ach- achieved at Keystone Capers. That was my best game by Activision. Yep. But, so, I, I don't know. I mean, there there's a point at which I think you put the kids in there and they're going to look at these games and go, Dad, these games really kind of suck. <laughs> Well, I don't know what else Atari as a company has done. I mean, we're just talking about the 2600. I mean, the Atari is has done much more. Yes, they've done many arcade consoles. 
you know, they have they have done a bunch of those. So if that's but this that doesn't seem to be what they're trying to evoke. Mm. They seem to be playing to a nostalgia for people that are going to fall in a definite age range. Yeah. You know, I don't I, I find it hard. Like you say, if someone is told that they have a convenient and fun esports arcade that they can go to, you're right. That could easily draw them. I won't dispute that. But I find it hard to believe, I guess, that that is something that would be um, appealing beyond that. I think to people the demographic. Yeah, I think the problem is that it wouldn't necessarily be broadly appealing for enough people to re- to go repeatedly. Yes, like as a destination, like I'm going to go at, go to this place like multiple times. Like there's people that go to Disney World or Disneyland, you know, every few years. Um and Disney World and Disneyland are constantly changing and br- bringing new stuff and even if they weren't bringing you know bringing bringing new stuff into the parks, pe- there are plenty of people that would just continue to go because it has a certain charm and appeal and you know, there's a nostalgia to it. And, connects them with their childhood and all that stuff but i don't know that atari like atari like when when you when you put up the galactic scales of what has the most resonance and you put the atari logo on one side and you put mickey effing mouse on the other side you know right which way does this which ways uh, does the scales drop so and and i realize i'm not the market because i've i've ranted here about my disaffection with disney world period and that is something <laughs> That yeah. That is something for which I would have to stipulate. At least they're creating new. And I guess maybe that's it. Disney is creating new content. There's new Disney out there to see in addition to all the old Disney. So you've got this constant moving stream into which the kids can leap at any given point and adults can join them because of fond memories that they have of whatever show they particularly cared about. But Atari? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like with the with the parents with like with Disney, for example, you you can you can take kids today, and they can you know they're like I I know adult friends of mine who have kids that are you know that have seen Pixar movies, they've seen computer animation, they've seen it done really really well, but they still love Aladdin or The Little Mermaid or Snow White, um, because even though it's earlier incarnations of that stuff, whereas like you took kids from today, you were, like you were saying, and he's like slapped a slapped slapped a single stick single button joystick in their hands and said okay play a game the kid would be like excuse me who do you think you're talking to (laughs) (laughs) my controller (laughs) has four multi-directional thumb pads four (laughs) buttons four triggers (laughs) and vibrates when i do something the right way is there not a YouTube video of kids trying to manipulate the 2600 controller? Oh, there's, oh yeah, absolutely. There's those, there's a place that does these videos where they show people trying to use the old technology. They put a phone, like an old rotary phone in sure. front of like a bunch of, you know, 15 year olds and they film them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's one with Atari out there somewhere. So yeah, I just, I saw this and I thought, and and I guess the main thing was I could have easily blipped over it as well, okay, there's another idea doomed to failure in the modern environment. <laughs> but by the same token, suddenly I saw all these people commenting and retweeting or reposting and saying, hey, how cool is this? And I went, for whom is this cool? For the vocal minority that are posting online about it. I guess. I guess. You, you, can't, use that at, you can't use that as market research. You cannot. Unless, it, <laughs> unless, it's, unless it is literally millions of people. 
that are posting about it. You cannot use that like, oh, look, there's this, hey, there's a, there, there's a website where there's like, you know, a bunch of people talking about how cool this is. I guess we should sink millions and millions of dollars into it and build it. But, but sir, there's like, you know, 80 users that are doing all the posting. Did you, did you notice that his videos have 200 followers? You saw that, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That, that is, <laughs> anyway. that is, that is, so yeah, I saw that. Um, where was, where was the one other thing? All right. So have you scrubbed, Mike, have you scrubbed the phone line so that guy can't find us? We, with the phone line? We don't have phones. We have, you know, well, whatever technology, the VOIP we're using here. I Google don't want to talk about this if he's going to find out. No, I somehow, somehow he manages to Skype in, but I've, I've uninstalled Skype. I, is that okay, what you're well, asking? Well, that's true because we loathe the Skype app. That is known. But it's like, you, I, I sent you over the link. Mackenzie Bezos. Oh no. Mackenzie Bezos is doing, I believe, I'm gonna write this down, the biggest post-split FU in the history of divorce. Yeah, she's got the biggest middle finger ever. This is it. This is it. This is number one. She is at the top of the, the chart. Number one. For those who don't know, the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, Mackenzie Bezos, who by the way has not changed her name. Which is funny. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because that's if a she pain goes, in the ass. If she changes her name back, we might forget who she is. Right. <laughs> she, when she does this, when she makes this move that you're about to talk about, the Bezos name has to be there. Yes. Her it's, optimal finger in the eye. It's like, oh, or as or as the dreadnoughts would put it, knife to the eye. I like yeah. this. This is uh, re- this this was reported last year. One of the richest women in the world. Now, by the way, she. Th- th- this is the, the foundational article. The article I got this from indicates she has now done this. <laughs> this has happened. Okay. She has signed the giving pledge, a commitment that hundreds of wealthy people have made to donate more than half their money to philanthropic causes. The article notes her announcement Tuesday throws the lack of such a pledge from her ex-husband, Amazon CEO <laughs> Jeff Bezos, into sharp relief. Yeah, how about now, that? <laughs> we we observe two different things. Number one, she's donating his money. Let's face it. Yeah, I'm sure she was a part of the marriage, and as all good marriages are, it was a partnership for as long as it lasted. But this is Jeff Bezos' money. The hundreds of millions of dollars that she took. In fact, how much? I thought I saw the number. It's in the. It, it was. It was many hundreds of millions of dollars that she received. It's a shit ton. The word is shit ton. <laughs> right. Right. More money than we can even really understand. She is then taking that money that is his that she got in the divorce and saying to the world, "Hey." Not only did I take all this money from this jerk, but I'm now going to give half of it away, not only to do the right thing, because it is the right thing, but also because it will then shame him in front of the world that, hey, guy, yes, you haven't done it. You know, the, it when you are willing to do a $400 million, is that what I saw? It eventually wound up being that much. A $400 million middle finger to your ex 
I take notice and am impressed. It, it's quite an expensive fu. Oh yeah, this this you know we wondered, we discussed, we talked like what is the what is the nature of this split? What is the the emotion behind it? We know now. <laughs> okay, here's 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 my suggestion. If she hasn't already done this, um. I don't know what the number is, but let's say for the sake of argument for what I'm going to talk about here, that, that, that the number is $4 million or $400 million. $400 million. Yeah, let's say that that's the number that she's yes. got disposable that she can just go ahead and donate. Donate $400 million and one. Just like <laughs> just a little <laughs> extra. <laughs> and I want her to take it out of an old man's folding purse. <laughs> You know, like she goes to some event and she's got the big fake check, right? Yeah, the one. But on, then she goes, uh, on... oh, 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 I'm sorry, I forgot. And then she goes in and takes out that old man's clippable purse and <laughs> takes out four quarters and puts them on. The <laughs> tink, 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 tink. So this is half plus one. Yeah. Did she get half that, though? That... I don't think she got half. No, she didn't get half, but she got because I think they did have a prenuptial agreement, but she got a lot, like a quarter or something. Yeah, she got many, many hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh boy! Oh no! This, I thought you said you uninstalled this. I thought I had. Hello, brother nerds. Hello, Doctor Beevil. Have you heard about Mackenzie, Jim? Um, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Dr. Evil, I have heard about your former spouse. Yes, I have. Yes, I know you have. I heard you talking. Oh, boy. Yes, my ex and former Frau Farbezos and Mackenzie has pledged to give away over one-eighth of my wealth. Yes. Yes. But that's not the reason I called. Uh, my understand. Oh, I just do. I do. I understand this number correctly, Doctor. I'm looking at CNN Business, which I take to be a reputable source. That that she apparently has a stake in your company worth thirty eight billion dollars, with a B. Yeah, that's a lot of money, Doctor. That that she took, that she left with, parting gift. We're good friends still, Jim. Are you? Oh, good. Good. Ab that is absolutely. good for the, the good of you, your mental health. I think that would be best. You would know about my mental health, wouldn't you? Uh, no, sir, I would not. not but that's not the reason I called. Mm. I have a bone to pick with Apple. Oh, okay. The iPhone security is so good that nobody knows how to find evidence that one was hacked. I, I read that, yes. I read that. You know, like mine was. Yes, your phone was hacked. Effing yes. Tim Cook. <laughs> He's a little <laughs> waffle. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> Did you know that if you search for my name, plus the word hack, it brings up all the same links as if you only searched my name? It's infuriating. I mean, I'm oh. trying to find news about this WhatsApp thing, okay? I blame Eric Schmidt, that little <laughs> waffle. What? Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, like, my question is, what? why do you think the Saudis wanted your phone? Data, sir. It wasn't the Saudis, Jim. It wasn't? No. Oh. My crack oh. team of inspectors at my newspaper, mm -hmm. whom I have dubbed the First Beevil Investigative Unit, or FBI, oh. are now on the case. 
Maybe you've oh, heard of them. They've uh, been the on... FBI. Yes, yes, I have heard of the FBI. Yes, they've been I on... thought that meant something else, but go on. They've been on my payroll for years. But I digress. I can now divulge the name of the hacker. Uh, it, it, and it was? It was not Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Oh, It okay. was Eric Sierra... Haha, <laughs> just kidding. It was you, Jim from Milwaukee. No, no, sir. Sir, no. No, Dun. I was curious... Why? Da, da, da. Sorry, my soundboard app isn't working right on this Amazon Fire phone. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would ask politely that the FBI review the record, um, as if to to make certain that it was me, because I, I am going to strongly and unequivocally deny having hacked your phone, sir. Why you gotta play me that way, Jimbo? No, I, 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 I just, I, yes, sir. I have another good sound effect for that. Hang on, these buttons are—they're so small, and it, it's hard to. What? Did he just hang up on his own phone? Quick, Doc, uninstall Skype. Uninstall Skype. Doctor Beeple. What it's not installed. I, Mike, I thought we handled this. I'm looking. It's not here. The guy's got his. What is it? First Beevil investigator unit looking at me now. <laughs> what is that like? The first order? I don't know. Is that one well, of those? If it's run by some ginger Hitler. I guess I'm fine. But I, I think that's one of those cases of uh, trying to trying to fit the name of the thing into the acronym. You know that you've come up. Yeah, with Yeah. Well, I can first. see him sitting around doing. Well, for God's sake, he named the computer program he was trying to sell to the government Jedi. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> He tried to he tried to do a computer interface program. The government passed on the contract, but the thing was called Jedi. Was that the thing that that uh, we talked about? Where it was supposed to what 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 was the what was the program supposed to do? Uh, no, I don't. It wasn't it, the facial. No, well, okay, it wasn't that. It wasn't. It was something else. Okay. Yeah, to bring it's a it's a Pentagon program. We're <laughs> looking to this. It's a ten billion dollar contract. Is, is DARPA uh, involved? Jedi somewhere? is short for Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure. One of the strategies the U.S. government intends to use to streamline its crucial computer infrastructure. That's actually not bad for the for the, it, the words for the acronym. Oh, oh yeah, but sure. that's but, that but, one's plausible. But but nerds, but nerds. <laughs> he's he's sitting around thinking, what's what are the nerds into these days? Oh, it's that Star Wars thing, right? Yeah, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. We're talking about a ten billion dollar contract, and you let the nerds name it. Come on, man. <sighs> Alexa, what do the nerds talk about? I knew I shouldn't have brought this up on this show. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. All right, lesson learned. So he's listening, and if you talk about him, he calls in. Is that what happens? Yeah, that, that clearly, clearly, you have an you have an audience of many plus one. Jeff Bezos. <laughs> 400 million plus Dr. Beevil. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, this is the other thing is I went over and I found out, I understand we picked 400 million out of this guy. Her stake is worth $38 billion. Is she, uh, I, I thought it was guys, in the billions. Do you, do you yeah. guys remember when Steve Zabin suggested the best way to make the punishments for athletes make sense? <laughs> yeah. Where he said, whatever their fine is, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars for roughing the passer or whatever, buy a hundred thousand dollars in high end electronics, cars, and jewelry. 
<laughs> take it to the edge of a cliff somewhere where they live and make them push it off. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just got fined $100,000 worth of, you know, 80-inch high-def televisions, you know, 4K TVs, uh, you know, Aston Martin cars, buckets and buckets of champagne, jewelry, whatever you care about. And we're out here in Calabasas looking out over the... (laughs) And I'm just going to make you one after the other, shove it over and say, yep, that was worth hitting him that hard. Over it goes. Same thing here. She just wants to take $19 billion. That's a lot of money. $19 billion. 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 <laughs> oh, because you know, 19, I'm obsessed with this now. $19 billion. <laughs> and she's going to go to him, sweetie. And one. Uh, and one. And that, that makes that $1 so much better. <laughs> She's going to have 19 billion of his dollars and go, oh, oh, I forgot. I forgot. I made this down at the boutique today. One. Oh, my goodness. You know what what would have even been better is if she had gone, like, if she had announced that she was going to give five billion away. And then on the day, make like a big press announcement in a big media thing and people show up and everything. And then be like, she's, she's writing the check for $5 billion, $5 billion. And she just says, into, she just says into the micro quality. Oh, what the hell? 19 billion. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere in the back of the room, some guy in a fake mustache and a slouch hat. Are we, uh, are we, are we? getting to sammy time i know we, i'm ready some of us I'm are ready. in timelines today yeah we're over in uh samuel peeps high executive in the uh, court of charles the second in the middle of the 17th century we've gone a whole year with sam we went through all of 1661 ah very good and we leap forward into 1662 we're going to monday f- the dates are going to continue to are going to continue to sink excellent awesome. monday the third of february 1662 so what happened with our guy, Sam, on that day? I thought these were good things. You tell me. <laughs> After music practice, I went to the office. And there with the two Sir Williams all the morning about business. And at noon, I dined with Sir W. Barton with many friends more, it being his wedding day. And among other frolics, it being their third year, they had three pies whereof the middlemost was made of an oval form in an, in an oval hole within the other two, which made much mirth and was called the middle piece. And above all the rest, we had great striving to eat a spoonful of it. And I remember Mrs. Mills, the minister's wife, did steal one for me and did give it to me. And to end it all, Mrs. Shipman did fill the pie full of white wine it holding at least a pint and a half, and did drink it off for a health to Sir William and his lady, it being the greatest draft that ever I did see a woman drink in my life. Before we had dined came Sir G. Carterer, and we went all three to the office and did business there till night, and then to Sir William Batten again, 
and I went along with my lady and the rest of the gentlemen to Major Holmes's. And there we had a fine supper, among others excellent lobsters, which I never eat at this time of year before. The Major being both the Major Bath good lodgings at the Trinity House, and I think that's a that's a error for half, good lodgings at the Trinity House. Here we stayed, and at last home, and being in my chamber, we do hear great noise of mirth at Sir William Batten's, tearing the ribbons from my lady and him, as if they were a newly married couple. So I to bed. <laughs> so, anyone care to have a go as to what happened with Sam's day? Well, you had a really good food and drink day. Yes. This was, this was a, a friend's anniversary party. Third anniversary. Third anniversary, right. Thus the three pies. Yeah, at first you said it was wedding day. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But then, then referred to it being the third. And so the three pies, the, right. Assuming then, yes, the anniversary. And then there was a pie full of wine. An oval-shaped pie. What happened there? It sounded like somebody stole, stole an entire pie for him, but then, but then some women drank wine from a pie. <laughs> there is there is <laughs> there is a fair amount of debate about what this pie looked like. So the first thing you need to know, it's his wedding day, okay? And this is this Sir William Batten. Now, this by the way is his it's not he's not getting married. This is his anniversary. Yeah. Right. So it's he's been married mm-hmm. for 3 years. And so he has three pies. Is that how that works? Like when I get to Mike, Mike, what uh, anniversary do you got coming up? We get 14 pies this year. There you go. Nice. Come, come Christmas, I get 25 <laughs> pies. Wow. <laughs> Merry so, Christmas to you. <laughs> yeah, so where of the middlemost was in an oval form, in an oval hole within the other two. How do you put an oval they pie baked inside three, of the other they baked, two pie. They bake pies inside of pies. Okay. So they bake pies inside of pies, and the middle one, which was very funny, they called the middle piece. Yes, it's dirty. Okay? And everybody wants, which made much mirth. All right? It was called the middle piece. Yes, it's that joke. Okay? Okay. That joke still exists 400 years after the fact. The the little man in the boat. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go. And we had great striving... Everybody wants to scoop the middle piece. Well, that's right, yeah, good. See, at see, least funny. At least they We're know where it is. Sam. We're laughing with Sam. Yeah. And I remember Mrs. Mills. I love the fact that it's Miss Mary Miles, by the way, but he spells it Mills. The minister's wife. <laughs> <laughs> so she's in, you know, she's a sport. She did steal a spoonful for me and give it to me. So so already we're in this whole thing. There we go. And Sam, Mrs. Mills, oh, Samuel, here's something from the middle piece. And he eats some. And then to end it all, Mrs. Shipman, who was a good time. Bear in mind, this is during the day. This is noon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because we get to another meal later. This is like getting your drink on. Yeah. She fills the pie full of white wine, a pint and a half. And drank it off. And to drink it off, as you know, Craig, that means you pounded it. Yeah. <laughs> as a health to the on the occasion of their anniversary. So as, so as they a toast, did that. essentially. They, right. As and Sam celebratory says. Celebratory drink. 
it's the greatest draft I ever saw a woman drink in my life. <laughs> that's, that's that's Sam's way of saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is so hot. That is so hot. Oh, Mr. Shipman. We know, we know, we know, we know Sammy's got a wandering eye. You are a monkey woman, Mrs. Shipman. <laughs> if I were 10 years older and you were 10 years younger, <laughs> we would, we would get wild. <laughs> We would drink off a pie full of white wine and go. <laughs> go at that middle piece. Go right for the middle piece. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So we that's our morning. That was Sam at noon. <laughs> yeah. Before we had dined came Sir G. Carterer. Um, he was uh he was a member of the Privy Council, Vice Chamberlain of the Household. He was also the um treasurer of the of the of the navy. So he's a Pretty senior guy in Sam's world. And so they all go to the office and they did business there till night. So they're, they have this big, you know, you know, Sam is drinking. You know, he's not abstaining when Mrs. Shipman is getting her drink on. <laughs> so, so he's going with this Carter to work and then they go. And then after working, they go back to William Batten's again. Right? Sure. And then they go off to Major Holmes's. Now he's an admiral. Okay, and so he's he's kind of a big deal, and they have the supper there, and there Sam has some lobsters, which he had never had before, and he has some very good lodgings at the Trinity House, which is right there in Portsmouth, so it's it's all good. But this is the part that I absolutely love. Ah, uh, he goes now. Bear in mind, he is not staying at his place that we've all heard about being plastered and all this stuff. He's staying down at. The, the Navy office buildings on Tower, just west of Tower Hill. So he's in London. Okay. Okay, so he's not in the, the house we're familiar with. He's staying essentially in government housing. So the major has these good lodgings over at Trinity House, but there they stay. But at last he goes back and he goes into his room. And what does he hear? He hears As, the, uh, the, the celebrating anniversary uh-huh. couple getting to it. <laughs> What was the tearing off the ribbons? Tearing yeah, yeah. the ribbons from my lady and him <laughs> as if they were a newly married couple. So I to bed. <laughs> so, and to other things, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you we know, don't know how quickly he fell asleep there. We have no idea. But no, so on the on this coming Monday, Sam will be enjoying the middle piece of the triple pie. <laughs> and then listening to his friend enjoy the middle piece. That is it, it's just listening to his friends have sex. That's that's Woo-hoo. that's but again, it is in government. Know, why, why do we love Sam? The reason we love Sam is because we all could tell this story. I if we all wrote down diaries, I when my wife and I visited Austerlitz, uh, gosh, before Edward, so about 12 years ago, we stayed at a lovely, lovely place called the the Hotel Santander. It was an off-season resort. And I got up at about 2 in the morning. This huge room we had. this beautiful room. And I got up at about 2 in the morning. And I thought somebody had brought a dog. Because I thought I was hearing a dog kind of yowling. <laughs> and I sat there in my bed <laughs> and I listened and I listened and I realized, nope, that was a woman getting it. 
and she was being loud. And it was just that sort of a building and just those sort of acoustics so that you basically had to wait for them to get done before you were getting to sleep. <laughs> so, yes, God bless you, William Batten and your lady. God bless you, Sammy Peeps. And thank you, as always, for preserving your stories to link us 400 years into the past. Always a pleasure. More ways than one with Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin question? <laughs> we can do it quick. Yep, we got 10 minutes. All right. 136 question. Do you think 100 years from now, people will have a complete misunderstanding of the origins of the phrase Trump card? Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> I actually looked it up because I didn't know exactly what it meant. Like, I know what it means in context. Sure. But I didn't know the actual definition. And it is. Uh, a trump is a playing card, which is elevated above its usual rank in trick-taking games. Yes. Whatever those are. Typically, an entire suit is nominated as a trump suit. These cards then outrank all cards of plain non-trump suits. Right. Um, Mike, for your reference, and anybody else who's wondering, trick-taking game. Let's say we're playing a card game. Each of us has five cards in our hand. Um, for the first round, we each play a card in order around the table. One of those cards is the best card. Whoever had played that card takes those cards. That is winning the trick. Okay. You won that round. And the, the game, yeah, I don't know if you ever never I don't played, know if you ever any of played it, Craig, but we actually did play it at fair. It, it actually, the, the name Trump card comes from the game triumph yep i know of it but i've never played it yeah that you, you'll see a bunch of people at the renaissance fair playing it um and that was shortened to trump during the uh during the elizabethan period triumph yeah. was the the are you talking about the french version of the game it, it i believe it was originally german but i i don't know this says the the first one was uh the italian triumphi oh. okay which cool. was the fifth suit in a uh, game which acted as permanent trumps. And then later on, it says that the that later uh, turned into um, tarot. That's French, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, well, and, and the reason I know and about complex. it is actually it's, more it's from German, my French, of... Spanish, Italian. I mean, there's, it's all over the place in Europe. Yeah, my, my original love of it came from the fact that if you've ever read the uh, Horatio Hornblower novels... They are forever. And I'm not talking about the TV series because you only see it briefly in the TV series, which is excellent. But if you read the books, at least twice every book, they're playing whist. And this game trumped or triumph becomes whist. Yep. So that's, that's how I found out about it. I tried to argue once with the folks at the fair that I should be allowed to play whist and just, we'd pretend it was that game, but it's not quite the same game, but yeah, the, uh, so will there be confusion as to, uh, I will avoid all politics and say, yesterday was actually a very, very big day, strangely enough, in history period. I watched the Brexit live. They broadcast a uh, countdown clock on Ted Downing Street. Sure. And they, uh, they, they broadcast that and they showed it and they had... They had forbidden fireworks and live music, interestingly enough, at Trafalgar Square. But there were still some meetings. And I, I, with both the impeachment drama and this, 
I, as a historian by inclination, very curious to see how this is all looked at. I think there's there's a lot of questions that will get sorted out long after we're dead. Uh, obviously, I think the Brexit of far greater consequence even than this impeachment, to be honest, because Brexit Brexit is a the ending of a forty or at least the interruption of a forty seven year experiment. We here in America don't get this. Britain has been struggling with participation in the European Union for nearly half a century. And this marks a sharp yanking of them away from that European experiment, where a substantial number of British always wanted to be out of it, never wanted to be in it. So uh, will there be confusion over what a trump card means? I think card games have a real durability and I think we will be talking about trump cards in the correct way a hundred years from now. I'll be dead, so I can't be held to account. <laughs> there you go. I think that colloquialism will will outlive will will continue to live on just fine. There won't be any confusion where it came from necessarily, except among really stupid people. Um, <laughs> the same way that you can go back and pick out a variety of politicians or presidents and take their last name, and their last name is also the name of a city, or it also has become like synonymous with something else, and nobody like. You know, people recognize the difference between the two. Yeah, 100 years Quite is a, a long day, time. Though. It is. Oh, and look, I, I think I've told this story before. I was asked by the, the young people on the Milwaukee Youth Council to explain the Rodney King incident to them. Because I realized for them it was not living memory. Yeah. And that was a very sobering moment of... This is what happens. And this is why, I'm sorry to do something this serious, but it is kind of important. We're at the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Yep. We're, we're losing the last people who were there yep. and lived. That's a big freaking deal. Especially, because you know, because there are, pi- there there are, are pigs yeah. and degenerates <laughs> who deny that it's happening while those people are still here. Exactly. Those people are still alive with tattoos on their arm, and these beasts dare to say it didn't happen. I My contempt for them. And so what happens when they're gone? And now it is just a record and a memory and a photograph. That's terrifying. Well, it's that's that's the case for all of history because, you know, that's within the life lifetimes of our parents within our you know things that happen within our life lifetimes we don't we don't want to think about this but you know 100 years from now people are going to look at the history books and they're going to think about clinton bush trump obama carter and they're going to know those presidents on the level of how we know grover cleveland yes mm-hmm. that is correct the 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 most you're going to probably see out of this is like Reagan, oh, that was the one that was an actor. Obama, and he, and, and he had something. He had something to do with the Cold War. Yeah, and there was the Cold War. They're going to know <laughs> that. Like, Obama was, 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 was the first black president. Trump yes. was a millionaire, not a politician. Multi, you know, whatever air he is, you know, that's what people, people, most people are going to remember. That's right. No, well, shoot, go back to our own childhoods, right? Who was who was uh, John F. Kennedy? Oh, he was the guy who was assassinated. Mm-hmm. You know, who was um, Dwight Eisenhower? Oh, he was a great general who won the war. And and made the interstates. 
and made the interstates right because oh, and some we, some of them have a little more with them you know kennedy you can say well he got assassinated his brother got assassinated he's the one who said put put a man on the moon before the decades out you know, there's certain things that are kind of linked to him yeah. but and you might have a little like you said with reagan it's going to be like oh he was an actor and and he was the guy in the middle of the cold war that's what people are going to know yeah and, and that's true that's true i i just i'm looking back i'm trying to go to thirty thousand feet and say the things that you know, we make bold pronouncements like never again about the Holocaust. And it gets really, really hard to do as and but you're right. That is the problem of when living memory fades. You know, when these all because there's so much, you know, we're entering uh, Black History Month, which is a great thing. And I always made the point that it's like, I feel so bad for history teachers at the high school and college level who are doing survey courses where they can't do deep dives on a topic. How do you teach American freaking history, much less Western civ in a semester or two? Yeah. And so what do you talk about? We have to talk about this. You have to talk about that. You have to talk about this. You have to talk about that. And you, you know, Craig, you know me well enough to know, shoot, you tell me one interesting story about, for example, a, a guy, one of the judges here in town, he always puts on his Facebook page, uh, famous African-Americans you may not have heard of. He put up a piece about Jackie Robinson's brother, <laughs> who is also an awesome athlete and broke barriers. It's like, I love that story. I want to tell that story. I think we should. But how do you, you know, where do you evaluate that against uh, Harriet Tubman or against Frederick Douglass or against any number of, or Michelle Obama or Barack Obama, you know? How do you evaluate these things? And then, by the way, you got to teach all the other history too. It's an incredibly hard series of choices and you're scared to death about what slips through the cracks because I really do believe there are consequences to losing, losing touch with that. That's fair. And on that note, on that happy note, we sit here and read about Sammy, Sammy Peeps's diary and his pies. <laughs> From 360 years ago, almost 460, my friend. What? Yeah. Mike, you did math on the air. Way to go. Good job. 400. We're in the 2000s. 360 years ago. Oh, that's right. That's right. I realize he's getting... Wow. I did math math on the air. So did Craig. did math on the air. Jim Jim did math on the air. What were you thinking? Error. Error. (laughs) Card thrown. Red card thrown. So despite that enormous faux pas, Jim, thank you for joining us. I apologize for my enormous faux pas, and it was a delight. And Mike's on-air math trumps Jim's and Craig's. (laughs) <laughs> i wasn't really doing the math in my head i was just yelling at you and making fun of you <laughs> mike where can they find us they can find us at nerdburgershow.com at nerdburgershow on the twitters and the facebook email us nerdburgershow at gmail.com and um you got one more day for the uh keepers deluxe hardcover kickstarter help me buy more books so that i can actually um like keep this thing alive a little bit beyond the kickstarter itself you can also go to nerdburgergames.com uh to learn about the game stuff i'm doing and you can go to drivethroughrpg.com to buy other game things on the next episode of nerdburger mike and craig establish nerdburger hotel where <laughs> you can check out but you can never leave wait no Oh, that's that's Hotel California. Never mind. Never mind. We don't have a theme for Nerdburger Hotel. I'm sorry. <laughs> How about Nerdburger Flotel? Yeah, space Flotel. In space. <laughs> well, what was it? The... Hate Flotel. 
How did, I don't remember what I we don't, came Yeah, from. I couldn't. I was thinking about that earlier, and I couldn't remember. Inflate, or the Inflate, Inflatable, in, inflatable, inflatable hate Flate Hotel. hotel. Inflatable, Inflatable Hate Flotel. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're old. Our memories are bad. It was like four years ago or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs>